Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name is Sammy James and welcome to the podcast today. Lots to discuss. Will Fulham's game at the weekend against QPR be going ahead? We'll be discussing the Alexander Mitrovic situation and looking in profile at Bobby Decadova-Reed, our new right winger, right defender, Supremo. And of course, looking ahead to that game against QPR. If it goes ahead, who knows? And here to talk about all of those things is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Fulham writer for The Athletic, Peter Ruxler. Hello, Peter. Happy New Year. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Happy New Year to you too, Sammy. Been demoted in the New Year, have you, Peter? You're no longer, chief, you're no longer chief Fulham writer. Oh, what, what did he call me? Just, just normal? Fulham writer today. Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's, that's quite sad. That's not yeah, exactly. 2021, not starting how you'd have hoped, I hope. Well, you know, Sammy, Sammy's built me up and you know, <laughs> really boosted my confidence now. <laughs> and, and now he's just putting me back in my place. I mean, Sammy giveth and Sammy taketh away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Peter. You are, you're my chief Fulham writer and you always will be. There's, there's, <laughs> there's no one better for me who puts pen to paper on all things Fulham. Uh, right, let's um, let's come on to the big story of the week. And of course, Fulham haven't had a game, uh, Peter, for two weeks. There is potentially a game on Saturday against Queen's Park Rangers. It was about this time last week that we found out that the Burnley game wouldn't be going ahead. So do we think we've got a game on Saturday? Of course, we'll find out a bit more when the press conference comes out later with Scott. We're recording ahead of that. But right now, I hit... Get your crystal ball out. Will Fulham play some football this Saturday? I think they will. I think the, the plan has always been this week. My understanding is, you know, they're preparing for the game on, on Saturday. I think the FA Cup's kind of come at a good time. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be players missing this weekend and I think there would have been rotation anyway. So in that sense, it'll be okay. They did train, um, didn't train over the weekend after the, the Burnley game was, was called off. Um, the Premier League spoke in their statement about implementing a further action plan and, and there were exceptional circumstances to the outbreak. And, um, and my sort of understanding of that is they were looking to try and reduce the amount of contact players have with other staff, reducing areas of Motspur Park that had sort of been reopened and trying to go much tighter in their restrictions, almost preempting really the sort of March lockdown style approach that now we all find ourselves in more broadly. So uh, I think in terms of the game, yeah, I, I think there's a good chance it will go ahead. But I think, as you say, I will get much more clarity once, once Scott speaks today. It'll be the first time he's spoken since that. And um, that should that should really clear that up a little bit more. I mean, Jack, it will be nice to have some football back in our lives. I think that, um, I think it was you and Dom on the 300th podcast made the point that it's been actually nice to have a little bit of a break from Fulham because we haven't really had one since football came back in June because the summer was so short. But, you know, I won't mind watching a little game of Fulham this weekend. It will be nice to have back. Yeah, obviously, I would rather have had a break under different circumstances than these, but uh, but here we are, so we've got to take it as as it comes. Really, yeah, I w- I think it's probably the two weeks off, if you will, have, have been have been nice in some ways because they've allowed well, us to breathe, but also I'd imagine have allowed the squad to take a break and, and a breather. And and yes, you know, it's not in a way that they would have 
wanted and it's not in the in the circumstances that they would have desired to have such a break but at the end of the day you know that rest is a rest and and hopefully it will energize and and look to to reignite the squad and after what was you know a little bit of a stodgy christmas period i think from from everyone involved so there's lots of different elements at play um, but it's it's a one that I think it can come to it now. And I've been looking forward to, to this FA Cup game, not because I think the FA Cup is a massive deal for Fulham this year, because obviously surviving in the Premier League is, is goal numero uno and also just the only goal that really matters. But just because it allows us to potentially have that little bit of squad rotation that Pete was talking about and get some some players back into the into the lineup and onto the team sheet that we haven't seen in a while. I'm hopeful that Josh Onoma is going to be one of those players that features and we've seen him a little bit in action for the under 23s and the under 21s and there are you know different things different players who who might have a role to play we we spoke a little bit at the weekend about how, whether this would be you know maybe used as a, a send off for, for Stefan Johansson and and Kevin McDonald and while I kind of hope not in some ways you know I don't think that that should go ahead in front of no fans. And I think that if Steph and Kev are to leave, then hopefully we'll be able to to come back and have have some moments for them in front of a fan base. But it does give us an opportunity to to rotate the squad a little bit and see if there's anyone kicking around in the background who's ready to to make a, a step up and, and can impact us in the second half of the season. One of the interesting things, obviously, for this game is the fact that Fulham probably do need to fulfil it. Otherwise, it's... They may have to forfeit the game. I mean, that's subject to an appeal, but the FA regulations for for the cup now are, you know, there's a weekend window. You've got to try and get your game done in that. I think Derby County announced this morning that they're going to probably field a youth team for their game against Chorley because of an outbreak. So, um, although when you actually look at it, I mean, as Jack sort of touched on, you know, the FA Cup isn't that important. And one of the big issues now, having had this break, will be fixture congestion. Now, originally, when I when I thought, oh, the game's going to be postponed and, and, you know, this could be an issue, I didn't really assess it, you know, this as a major issue because you, you normally associate the end of the season with, you know, games every Saturday or once a week and it's sort of spaced out once you've, you've dropped out of cup competitions. But actually, it's quite tight, you know, between from January through to February, especially, you know, there are games Monday, Monday, Wednesday, quite, quite frequently. Um, and then you factor in cup competitions such as the FA Cup, you know, the fourth, uh, the fourth round and the fifth round. The fifth round's on a Wednesday night. Fourth round is uh, another weekend. Um, and then also one of the opponents Fulham have had their games postponed against is Tottenham and they, they obviously play in the Europa League and that begins again in uh, mid-February. So suddenly you're actually thinking, well, where's this game going to get played? And I think there's a chance that even the Spurs game may not get played till till, till March. Um, so I guess that, that, that'll be another issue further down the line, which, is, which has come from this. But at the same time, you know, having that sort of pauses. It's helpful. It's helpful. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's a game that for, for Fulham, it'd be nice to just get back playing and get into some kind of rhythm. Um, it'd be good to see. What will be interesting is how much of an impact it's had in terms of preparation, in terms of fitness. You know, how, how do you get a, a team back playing again if they haven't trained? Or I mean, there'll be uh, there could be several players who are in isolation for a significant period. Um, there's hope that no one no one gets that's too unwell. Um, you know, my, you know, I think the Spurs game was called off um, from what I understood because there were at least nine cases, which then rose before the Burnley game. So we're not talking a small number um, within the squad. So how that sort of affected how Fulham prepare will be very, very interesting. I mean, 
Peter, one thing that we didn't discuss on last Sunday's podcast is the situation with Alexander Mitrovic. So some pictures emerged on social media on January the 1st um, from Alexander Mitrovic's partner. And it kind of was a video of Mitrovic, uh, Milivojevic, and presumably some members of their family having a bit of a New Year's get together. It showed Mitrovic and Milivojevic kind of grappling together while playing a bit of football in a room. And given all the restrictions, particularly that London was under tier four restrictions at those times, which meant that no um, indoor social household mixing could take place. It was obviously very disappointing for us all to see uh, a a Fulham player, a prominent Fulham player as well, um, appear to break the rules in in such a manner. So last night, Luka Milivojevic issued a statement on the Crystal Palace website. He said, I want to publicly apologise for my actions on New Year's Eve. As captain of Crystal Palace Football Club, I'm fully aware that my responsibilities go beyond football. In this instance, I have let the fans, the club, my manager and teammates down. But as of yet, we haven't heard a lot from Fulham. We haven't really heard anything from Alexander Mitrovic. It may again become a bit more clear once the Scott Parker press conference has come out. But what's been your view on that situation? Because I've spoken to Fulham fans about this and a lot of them are very, very upset. We love Mitro, but it's really upsetting to see a Fulham player do this. Yeah, and and rightly so, in my opinion. I think, you know, it's been a very hot topic in the last week because it's not just affected Fulham. We saw the incident with the Tottenham players and and West Ham and and Manchester City with, with Benjamin Mendy as well. Um, you know, it's not acceptable, I don't think, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I guess, as, as, as you pointed out, we'll wait to see what, what, what Scott Parker says today. I think we, I've, I've sort of stepped back from it because it's been slightly different to the Palace situation, whereby Roy Hodgson's had a chance to speak, Palace have, have spoken. Um, today is the first time that Scott Parker will have spoken specifically on this or had the opportunity to address it. So I'd be very interested, interested to see what comes from it and, and what he has to say. Um, as you say, Milivojevic released a statement last night. Uh, there hasn't been anything from from Mitrovic. Fulham released a statement um, to the Athletic for the piece they did on Monday, which um, which sort of outlined that they were looking into it and that they were very disappointed and they take these breach uh, breaches of the rules very seriously and that the player is aware of the club's disappointment of the standards that are expected of him. So um, it'd be good to get some kind of pushback on it because, in in truth, you know everyone's going through these these circumstances and. Um, to see them you know, so brazenly breached really um, is a bit of an insult. And what what makes it worse in the Fulham case is that you know this this is this alleged incident took place on New Year's Eve, which was after the Tottenham game was postponed, which is after there was an outbreak within the Fulham squad. So not only is it you know it's it's you know, it's not acceptable by ways of the the rules in the first place, but it's actually putting you know essentially people at risk. Um, conceivably and and you know and I think from from that perspective there, there should be some punishment and I guess there's 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 a wider debate about this and the roles that, that footballers have as role models the fact that they are still playing that the fact that they do are able to do that as a, it's in a privilege of being an elite athlete um you know it's 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 insulting really to to everyone else who's who's, tr- who's doing their best to, to to make the best of the situation and um a very difficult situation for everyone at the moment. And I, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not, not the example we want to be set. You know, Milivojevic is a palace captain. Mitrovic has worn the armband this season for Fulham. Um, he's such an important player. He's a key part of the squad. And um, it's not the example you want to be setting really. 
Yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because there there are elements of this that that people are rightly and and very reasonably upset and 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 angry with with all these things. There's a lot of people going through a really really tough time, and and for it to be so blatantly bleached, I think is 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 key here, right? It's not just the the fact that he's had a couple of people over and 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 kind of gone about his business. I think that you you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that has has not at least tried to you know bend anything over these 12 months right it's not necessarily you know as as people say they're just learning from their leaders he's um he's not driven 300 miles for an eye test so <laughs> it's, you know, it, there there have been breaches from from top to bottom across the course of this but i think for such to, to breach it and so kind of brazenly put it on on instagram no and it wasn't him obviously but his partner to to think oh nobody will nobody will mind this i think is 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 pretty tough to stomach in in some ways that's the you know the the kind of audacity if you will to to just put it on instagram and be like yeah it's fine i I, i'm doing kind of what i want and that's fine and that's the end of it it seems like a a strange kind of position to be in now do i think that mitrovic should be sold because of this no of course i don't like obviously and and i think that if you're clamoring for him to be dropped into the under 23s uh, you know when we don't know the full extent of, of any situation all the way that Fulham have dealt with the matter internally then that's a that's a strange sort of place to be in and a strange a strange position to hold I think there's there's so much about this that kind of sits on the way that the club communicate and you know it's something that we've we've noticed down the years with Fulham and, and it's not something new that we're we're putting out here but the club don't the club aren't transparent on matters like this. Now there are good and bad moments in in this for for everyone, and and they're not transparent on particularly many matters, right? And and that causes sometimes consternation. Sometimes it works in the club's favour. There are there are loads of different things, you know, especially looking going up to the playoff final. The fact that Mitrovic wasn't playing, you know, that kind of lack of transparency helped us in that point. But also at times like this, we have no idea how the club are going about dealing with this behind the scenes. And because of that, I think it ramps up the pressure on on the fan base to to think, oh, he hasn't been punished when when we're actually we don't know. And I think that it's just important to keep a reasonably level head, you know, with with these things. Yes, it's a bad look. Yes, it's a breach of regulations. Yes, that's bad and should be, you know, punished in some way. But we don't know what the club have done so far, and therefore it's quite easy to overreact, I think. But do you agree, Jack, that I was really taken aback by Guardiola's comments on Benjamin Mendy, which basically said, well, others do it. So don't know, don't see why it should be any different for Benjamin Mendy. And some of the reaction, particularly from, from Roy Hodgson at Palace, was just a bit meh. I would like to see Fulham act strongly on this. And I, I think Mitrovic shouldn't be playing for a couple of games or should be very heavily fined the maximum that Fulham can do here. I would like to see Fulham come out with a strong statement that this is wrong and we will not tolerate this from our players. Yeah, I, I, look, I completely appreciate that. I'm just, all I'm saying is that we don't know exactly what's gone on behind the scenes. Uh, yes, I would like to see a statement. Of course I would, but this is Fulham. We don't do that. You know, we don't make those, we don't make those statements. We don't make these grand accusations in, you know, press conferences and the media and, and releasing official club statements on these matters. It just isn't the way that Fulham go about things. And 
whether that's right or wrong, it, it's not going to change on this incident, I don't think. And I think Scott will talk about it a little bit in the press conference today, but I think he will just basically suggest that the matter has been dealt with internally. And that's that. Look, I'm... <laughs> Do I agree with what Guardiola said? No, of course I don't. Like, but but at the same time, he's protecting his players. Do I think that you know a a lot of managers would do the same to try and look after their players and try and keep faith with them? Yes, you know that's that's unfortunately a kind of uh, regardless of the state we live in. That's that's the kind of way the way we are. And 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 with all of these things, I think it comes down to to management and and learning and trying to you know teach players as much as anything else. Like, of course there are terrible terrible things going on and of course Mitrovic has made a huge huge error here no one's no one's about like denying that and I'm not trying to pardon it or, or get away from it in that regard I think he should be punished of course but I just want you know because of the way that Fulham deal with things I just think that a lot of people are are having a kind of oh he must be dropped he must be sold you know when we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes at this point that's all I'm saying is just kind of yeah old fire a tad we're, we're we're all we're all shooting blanks into the dark here a little bit and 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 that is is a not a concern because obviously people are entitled to whatever opinion they hold but i just think that we're we're quick to draw on on matters that we don't have the full information on i think it's pretty clear that you know <laughs> this has already done some damage to to mitrovic everyone's come out and condemned it i don't think you know, it's not like he's getting away scot-free. I, I think, you know, as, as, as we said, it'd be interesting to see what, what Parker says. And in particular, because Parker in his last press conference spoke about whether the protocols in place were strong enough to, cont- to contain the new variant. Well, it helps if your players then follow the protocols. Um, so it doesn't make him look good. Um, and I can't imagine he's going to be happy about that. We, we know how he sort of operates as, as a manager. So whether he'll try and keep that in behind closed doors and protect his player, because at the same time, he's, he's still a Fulham player. He's an important Fulham player when he plays. And I don't think you're going to get get it coming out and just have him, you know, put on public display to be, to be written. That just doesn't, it's not, that's not really good management and it's not really going to help anyone in this situation. Um, but yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what he, what he does say, because, you know, fundamentally I've, I've already said, I, I, you know, it's, it's not a good look at all, um, especially in, in the circumstances. Peter, there was an interesting article from your colleague, Matt Woosnam, who is the Crystal Palace writer for The Athletic. And it was talking about the situation, obviously, from Milivojevic's point of view. And the article's Milivojevic being captain after COVID breach is an insult to fans and key workers. I thought it was a brilliant piece. It was obviously quite personal to him and spoke about some of his experiences of um, living through COVID. And I thought it really hit the nail on the head because I think for me, it spoke about how insulted or insulting it was to see this happen while we are in the midst of one of the toughest periods that I can ever remember living in this country. Yeah, I would recommend having a read of the piece. It's it's really well written by Matt, and he conveys both his personal impact of of what's going on, and 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 more broadly the the impact of what Milivojevic did. Of course, he's he's the the Crystal Palace captain, and and that takes on a whole new level of responsibility, which which Matt argues he's fallen well short on, and it's hard to to disagree with that. Um, he asked for him to to come out with a public apology, which he has now done as well. Um, the circumstances of how Palace then subsequently dealt with it is what, what Matt looks at as well in terms of what of, of Milivojevic then being selected. Uh, Matt argues that that wasn't an appropriate response and he wasn't overly enamoured with with what Roy Hodgson then came out and, and said, um, defending him a little bit. Um, 
I think, I guess, from from a Fulham perspective, we're still waiting for that opportunity to see what what Parker says and and how they deal with it. Um, and I think once once we get sort of clarity on that, we can we can make a, a further judgment ourselves on on the way Mitrovic has been has been treated. But I would definitely recommend reading Matt's piece. It's um, it really deals with the 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 dynamic of 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 how footballers can sometimes be accused of you know living in their own bubbles and. Um, and the, their profile as well, um, and why it's important that you know that they do sort of at least accept responsibility for for their actions. I think above everything, um, which is important. And um, yeah, time will tell if that remains the case with with Mitrovic too. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one. I've heard a lot of debate just generally about the way that footballers have to act in these times, and and it is quite odd that society puts these sometimes no older than 21, 22 year olds on a pedestal and expects them to behave as responsibly as, as politicians. It is quite odd when you look at it as a whole, but ultimately I think Peter, you've got the nail on the head that they are in a privileged position at the moment to be allowed to continue to mix, have elite sport, have testing twice a week. It, it shouldn't be lost on them that Many people have lost their businesses, lost their way of life. Some people haven't worked for a year. Some people have lost their jobs and they are in a privileged position. And yes, they're young and will make mistakes. And that's inevitable when you are in your early 20s that you won't follow the rules as precisely. And we have seen MPs and, you know, real senior figures in the country do stupid stuff as well. And sometimes it's mad that we expect the same of just basically kids but also that is the world we live in jack and i guess they do just need to maybe be smarten up a, a little bit because the world is watching and almost as you said that the most stupid thing here was to put it on instagram like that's where my actual mind is blown like fair enough you go and do this but like the fact that you can't think that someone might find your partner's instagram was almost the the most astonishing thing for me yeah, I mean, there are literally close friends stories for for this kind of thing, right? Um, but it's a, yeah, l- l- there are there are different things to this. There's there's obviously way too many people there, right? But you can understand that if Mitrovic is playing on a you know on a obviously there are there, all the elements in play are are, are different because the, there's the fact that the Fulham outbreak was there and it's putting other people at risk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I think, and and all of those things should be given due consideration, but. You know, if Mitrovic is there on the pitch grappling with Luka Milivievic at a corner, you know, one day, and then he can't do the same, you know, when he's abroad without, you know, family in the middle of a uh, trying time. I, look, again, I, I feel like I'm making excuses here and I don't, that's not kind of how I feel. I, I'm not suggesting that he shouldn't be punished. I'm just trying to, you know, put a little bit of context in a situation. And I can understand how if they come on and they're giving each other hugs at, at full time, you know, when they play one week and then the next moment they're not allowed to be seeing each other outside of being on the pitch, then that's a strange, strange environment to be in, right? That that's a that's a that's a weird dichotomy to comprehend. And 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 yes, it's it's obviously got out of hand and, and obviously this is a breach of of protocol regulation and the think trust uh, as much as anything else and and for that reason that it needs to be addressed and it needs to be dealt with um but i can understand why you know at least in 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 some regards why footballers feel that it's weird that they can see you know they can be next to each other they can talk to each other they can give each other a hug on the pitch and yet they can't do the same you know the next day if they're in their house and that's that's a, a strange thing to address 
The other thing to consider here is also the, the Premier League context because there's going to be pressure, especially because Fulham have had the outbreak they've had. Um, and considering the circumstances of everything, that, that, that the cases are rising in the Premier League, there's questions about whether the protocols are strong enough, there's constantly this debate about whether they should be playing at all. You know, that, that really does add an extra pressure to these situations and it really does undermine that what the league are trying to do to get the games going and we can have a whole separate debate about the motivations for continuing to playing and, and things like that. But in the circumstances when you do get breaches like this, not least within a club that has uh, an already documented outbreak, um, you know, it, it does does look very, very bad. And I, I, what'd be interesting to see if there's sort of a, a Premier League pressure because there's that talk about whether there should be stricter punishments more universally, whether that should be FA or Premier League um, for these breaches of protocols. So what clubs do do in, in response to these 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 breaches is is very relevant at the moment. Okay, well, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then afterwards we're going to be looking at our new right back, right wing back, right winger, right forward, Bobby Deckard over Reed. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast brought to you by The Athletic UK and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. Speaking of The Athletic UK, Peter, you wrote a piece which came out uh, a couple of days ago and it was another one of your profile pieces which are such a good read and you've done quite a few of them now on everything from Ariola to Adarabayo to Joachim Anderson and your latest one was Bobby Decker Dover Reed and he's not a new player at Fulham of course he was here last season on loan from Cardiff City but his first kind of full season as a permanent Fulham player and Peter it talks about his rise through the Bristol City Academy and I think his versatility in positions has been well documented um that's one thing that the piece kind of talks about here is that it's not been a overall simple journey for Bobby and he's kind of had to learn as he goes along which position of football suits him best and right now he's been asked to do a very unfamiliar role I, I very much enjoyed the piece cheers yeah um I kind of approached this one looking at you know that, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You know, we, we, I think we've, we've talked about how versatile Bobby's been before and how much of an asset he is and, and also whether he could, you know, how much of a goal threat he can be too. Uh, but this was more of a case of looking at where that's come from, you know, what makes him a player who can be that versatile. You know, it's not every single player can can play in the in as many different positions and, and not only play in them, but also having having a willingness to do it. Um, he, I mean, he was a striker. He's, he's been a centre forward, scoring goals week in, week out. You know, it's, it can't be easy to tell him to play a right wing back. So there's got to be something in his makeup that really does sort of play to that and says, well, I'll do anything for the cause. And that, that's really what came across, to be honest. Um, like most academy players, actually, he, he will have played in a lot of different positions when he was younger, um, sort of settled on being an attacking midfielder. I spoke to some of the people who used to play with him as a youngster in, in, in a city Bristol and, um, you know, he, he was known as a small little baller because of, you know, his, his skills, his technique, he would always stand out and had always a very good set, um, very good balance and agility, um, which is great when you're an attacking midfielder, but it's also been quite noticeable, I think, with the goals he scored. And I sort of touched on that by dissecting how I think it was the goal against Everton that really, uh, st- stood out for me because I think he had a, it was a one, two with Tom Kearney. And then that first touch was slightly longer, and he's able to adjust his stride in the space of one touch to be able to then strike it first time past Pickford and his finishing's been excellent. Um, so it sort of just 
builds on all of those different factors. I think when when he was younger at Bristol City, as, as you talked about, um, his development was slower. They were sort of waiting for him to build more muscle, uh, more muscle mass. And I think um, I mentioned uh, Ryan Wilson in there, who runs a uh, back to action. Um, which is one of those uh, football camps that really helps to with their fitness and things like that. And he was a big part of improving his physique and and, and helping him get to that that next stage. And once he did do that at 17, 18, 19, he was able to push on. But in those early days, he had to have an extended scholarship at Bristol City an extra year, which is unusual, um, just to give him that more that little bit more time to 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 progress. And you know, at Fulham, he's. I don't think he started as, as as brightly, I think, as everyone would have probably expected. I, I don't know what you guys think, but you know, he's shown a willingness to to work in all sorts of areas, and and that does come down to his personality too, his his willingness to do anything for the team. He gets on very well with people. I mean, the, the comments by Ruben Reed in the piece, you know, he speaks so so highly of him, and that was just a snapshot of what he said. You know, he he really did have a, a really positive impact. He's he's surrounds himself with good people, and um, he's now reaping the rewards of that in the Premier League. And I think he's been one of Fulham's best performers this season, you know, you put him on a level with, with, with Anguissa and, and Ariola too, I think with, with the way he's played. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. He has been a revelation, I think in, in, in many ways. And I think last year we were expecting like a little bit more dynamism from Bobby. Every time he played, he, you know, he worked hard, but I think the, the game that springs to mind is Charlton at home where he just couldn't buy a goal. It was, you know, it was, it's, it's just a strange moment where you're, you're looking at it and thinking, surely this is it, surely this is it. And I think there was a header right at the end that it's yes. just almost impossible that he didn't score. It was a great save, don't get me wrong, but it, it, it just felt, it felt like you couldn't, you couldn't will the ball into the net anymore for Bobby. And, and I think that this year we've seen him kind of freed from those shackles a little bit. And it's not like everybody is now expecting Bobby Reed to be a goal scorer. And as soon as they stop expecting that from him, he seems to start scoring goals. And I think you'd think you'd say similar for his time at Bristol City, Peter, when he moved into that number nine role, it was supposed to be, I think in, in in many ways a kind of temporary measure while while players were injured and and while they were rotating the squad and and then suddenly he couldn't stop scoring and he he was he was all over it and and at that point they went okay cool you stay in the side and you stay as the number 9 and 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 then a kind of the pressure the pressure comes from within rather than without so when Fulham then signed him and you could say similar for when Cardiff signed him you know, it was, oh, you have to come in now and score goals. And at first, that didn't work out, I think, for either side, really. But now we're seeing that versatility come into its own. We're seeing Bobby, you know, j- diving off that like right-hand side. He, he plays almost like a, an inside right, uh, I think, mm. in, in, in many ways. And and there's a there's a strange kind of element of this that I haven't... It's not They're not obviously similar players, but the, the player I've been looking at and thinking, you play a little bit like Bobby Reed is João Cancelo. Um, who's having an incredible season uh, at Manchester City. But what, what he does is he kind of, he sort of ducks and dives from his inside, from his right back position. And he ends up in positions that you wouldn't expect from from a player playing that position. And I think that Bobby does the same. You know, he ends up in in places where you're like, how have you got there? Um, and but what that does is it brings him into play, it brings him into transitions, it brings him into into that kind of half space that allows him to to, to take a moment and get shots off. And and from there, we've seen him, you know, really explode into life in the final third. And and that versatility is so so crucial. Jack, do you think it's too simplistic to, from a Fulham perspective? I look at Decadova Reed, and I feel like there are a lot of similarities to Zoltan Gera in the way that. 
I think he's a good finisher like Zoltan Gira was. Zoltan Gira kind of could play off the right, but also could be the little man in a little large partnership. And I think if Fulham did play a more simplistic 4-4-2, and particularly Mitrovic could have been a player to do this. Now, I know that 4-4-2 or 4-2-2-2 has its disadvantages tactically on the pitch. I can see why Fulham don't play that. But Bobby Reid could be a perfect foil as well for, for the likes of, of a Mitrovic if he was to play off a, a big striker. I just, I feel like his versatility and all-round game does remind me a lot of, of Gira. And that's, that's high praise because he's one of my all-time Fulham favourites. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst shot in the world. Um, it's a, yeah, he is that kind of utility man, if you will, in a in a, in a system, in a setup, and he allows you to to kind of change your shape mid game, which I think is which is pretty crucial, right? And 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 Gira did the same in in many ways because he he used to occasionally play, obviously as the one behind a Bobby Zamora, but he'd also play off the wing, and and at times he'd you know drop into into the centre midfield when when absolutely necessary. And and I think Bobby Reed gives you more, if I'm honest. I think he gives you more versatility, and I think the fact that he was an eight to begin with, and and has kind of worked his way through, gives him all these all these different possibilities. And I've said for a long time that I think that. Actually, if you're looking for fullbacks or stand-in fullbacks, you're much better off having a centre midfielder playing there than you are having a winger because of, of the way that the the game is right now and the way that the game evolves. And and I've always said that if you if you look at if you're looking for a kind of backup right or left back, you you know you'd be you'd be well well inclined to use a player like someone like a Stefan Johansson. And I've seen, you know you've seen Villa do it with Conor Hurahan playing left back and. Um, and I think Bobby Reed is is not quite in that mould, shall we say? He's not the same player as, as a as a Hurahan or a Johansson, but because of the way that his work rate and his you know ability to to tackle and defend has been honed by the fact that he played in centre midfield, you, he actually offers you a bit more defensive solidity than perhaps a winger would playing at fullback. And and actually, I think that's what gives this so much credence. Him playing at right wing back, his one-on-one defending isn't you know groundbreaking but it's it's definitely good enough and we've seen him compete against genuinely very talented wingers on on that side and and come out on top but also his kind of spring to get forward and his his kind of desire to be in the in the final third and the sharp end of the pitch comes through and, and allows him to to you know to really explode from that role into into the attacking transition and and all of those things put together mean that for this exact system he's working perfectly right now but yeah I think he would be able to to transition into almost any system because of the kind of player he is it's interesting you you mentioned his centre mid because when when I was speaking to people about Bobby and just saying you know did you ever see him as a defender and generally the answer was no like I, I think he was always seen as this sort of more attacking player and I mean, he did he did play midfield he, he did play as an eight and but it was very much the the upper end of an eight to a ten you know that was always sort of his area of the pitch it was always in its sort of more advanced areas and I think what's relevant I think the Jao Cancelo examples are really interesting because I think fullbacks are so important now and both in terms of how vital transitions are in games and they're the one of the key positions for those transitions. They enact them at both ends of the field. And I feel like Bobby Deckard over Reed's natural attacking way of uh, approaching the game lends himself quite well for Fulham trying to spring on the break and, and things like that. But there is that sort of intelligence that you get in midfield that is always reflected by, by fullbacks. You know, Philip Lahm's a classic example of that who could step back into midfield and, 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 and vice versa. You know, there's a real, you have to have a real understanding of the game and, and, and more positions than your own. And um, one question I did want to ask though, with all of that considered, I'm interested to see what you guys think. And I, I just wonder, considering the transfer window now and how difficult this may be to get 
a striker who's going to actually improve the team at Premier League standard this window. Does Bobby Decadova read, considering the way Fulham now play, as opposed to how they played last year, there's clearly been some departures in that regard. Do you feel he could lead the line on his own? I think that if Fulham do struggle to sign a striker in this window, that and they're they're so valuable, aren't they? Finding a striker that can play at Premier League level is very, very difficult, particularly when you see the current situation at right now. Would any player from anywhere outside the UK want to come to this country right now? I would argue probably not, even if that means playing for a Premier League football team. The situation in here is, is dire right now when it comes to COVID and restrictions and all of that. It could be more sensible to find someone that can play the role that Bobby Reid has been admirably doing on the right, but maybe more suited to it. The, the instant one to mind for me is Damari Gray and therefore it would free Bobby Reed to be a striker and play at the top of the line instead of Ivan Cavalero. If Fulham, if Fulham absolutely cannot find a striker within the UK given all the restrictions that can do that I think there are worse shouts Peter than allowing Bobby Reed to be kind of freed from the shackles of his role which I think he's doing brilliantly at but maybe he could do better if he was kind of leading the line instead of Ivan Cavalero because Unlike Ivan Cavallero, Bobby Reed does have a much, much better finish on him. I don't know if you agree, Jack. Yeah, look, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think that there's maybe an interesting point in the fact that when Kenny Tete comes back with the form that Olaín has been in and actually the kind of player Kenny Tete is, we potentially won't see him drop into that kind of right centre-back slot we've seen Aina kind of play. If, if you know what I mean, because of because of kind of how Tete plays and, and the way that he, he looks to get forward. And, and interestingly, that might mean that Tete plays on the right of a back five. So the, yeah. the back five becomes Robinson, Adrobayo, Anderson, Aina, Tete. And, 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 and then in what happens then is you go, OK, where does Bobby Reid fit? And, and, and I do like the idea of him playing through the middle. What I am slightly concerned about is his hold up. Now, Cavallero isn't a traditional hold-up man I agree but what he does really well is he chases balls he checks back and he sort of holds onto it while beating a defender and allows other people to come into play and now Bobby Reed, I think is a little bit more of a when he does play as a nine kind of an explosive over the top nine who kind of looks to to get on the last shoulder and get for goal now we haven't seen him in this system and so I would hesitate to say that he couldn't do what Ivan Cavalero does but what Cav does that goes unnoticed a lot I think is actually hold the play up while other people come come into it not in a traditional hold it up by your chest and hold the defender off but in terms of we'll chase the ball we'll kind of go out wide we'll check back on himself and and then and then lay someone else in the goal that's completely symbolic of that jack is the second goal in the playoffs isn't it the ball is played up from a massive long goal kick by Marek Rodak and it's Cavallero that picks it up in the corner and is smart enough to hold on to the ball long enough to i think get it to Kearney who then kind of plays it to Joe Bryan who does the one-two with Mitrovic and then Joe Bryan's in on goal. I think you're spot on that Cavallero definitely can hold up the ball, but as you say, not in that traditional role. Yeah, and I just don't know if Bobby Reid would do the same. Interesting. I agree on Cavallero in terms of his hold-up play. I think that's one of the things that's, excuse me, has improved certainly since he's been playing through the middle with each game. And I, I personally feel like he's becoming more confident now how effective he is in front of goal in terms of his finishing. I think we're, you know, that's, that leaves a lot to be desired at the moment. Um, but that's, that's probably one interesting question. Now, obviously Bobby Reed's played in midfield as a number 10, which means he, he has played with his back to goal. He will know how to do that to an extent, but of course, leading the line is very different to playing off a striker. So 
I think that's definitely the the key area. And I, I feel, you know, in, in Cavalero's case, I think he's done a really good job in a not a completely unfamiliar position. I, I think he has played there before, but the way he has held himself, the way he has been able to bring the team up the field, make those really good runs in behind, keep the ball, his dribbling's been very, very good. You know, those are those are qualities that are really helpful. And um, as much as they, there is this desperate need to to add more goals in, in advanced areas too. One thing I find really interesting about Bobby Decker Dover Reed and when I've ever seen any interviews he's done, particularly the one he did um, for Black History Month for, for Fulham back in, in October, and he spoke so eloquently about the need for more black managers and coaches within the game to be role models for, for young black players coming through. And he always speaks really, really intelligently. And, and Bobby Reed's sister is Marsha Dikadova, who is the MP, Labour MP for, for Battersea and, and, you know, prominent speaker about disability rights. I f- see Bobby Reed being a, a, a key figure in the game, you know, potentially even a manager material once once he finishes. He he seems to be so, speak so intelligently about the game and ha- has a real connection. He seems to be really well liked around the club. Obviously, Peter, you kind of know the dynamics within the club a bit better because you're, you're there every day. But I, he strikes me as someone who has a real future in this game beyond playing as well. I know it's quite early to talk about that. He's not in his 30s yet, but still, I just think that he speaks so well. I either see him being a manager or if not a key pundit. You said uh, there every day just there and it just made me wistfully imagine a world without a pandemic. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. He does speak very, very well and you know he's got a really good relationship with Joe Bryan, of course. You know, they came through the youth ranks at, at Bristol City together and obviously been reunited now at Fulham. They're really good friends and um, Joe Bryan is also another one who speaks very, very well. I mean, we, we've seen that with the interviews he's given and um, I think the two of them you know, are, are quite similar in, in that sense and as you say, you know he he does come across very well in the interviews he's he's given. He's very grounded. He's he's a very humble guy, and um, he does he does speak very very well. And he does seem to have that sort of thinking element to to his game. And we see that in his performances. You know the two aren't always um, the two aren't always not linked. And um, it'd be interesting to see what he does do. You know, by coming towards the the latter end of his career, he's still very much I've got a long way to go yet. But um, for sure, that's that's something to be to be interested in. Hopefully it'll be one I'll get to do a proper sit down with at some point too. Well, if you want to read that piece that Peter's written on Bobby Decker Dover Reed, uh, do check it out on the Athletic app. You can go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod uh, if you'd like to sign up for The Athletic as a new year treat to yourself for the best price possible. Right, we're going to take another quick break and then afterwards we're going to look ahead to QPR at the weekend. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast and time now for an opposition lowdown on everything QPR ahead of this weekend's FA Cup match against our near neighbours from up the road. Dom, as ever, was in charge of this for us and he spoke to QPR fan and well-known YouTuber James Alcott to get a lowdown on everything that's happening at QPR. He started off by asking him how things have been this season. Yeah, well, last year we used the loan system and we used it really well. Um, Players that like Luke Amos, who we actually then signed, who's now now got injured for the whole of the season, which I think is a big loss for us in midfield. Um, but players last season, like even like the likes of Jack Clark from Spurs, who didn't actually end up playing for us too much, but he was there available. Um, Narky Wells, we got on loan, who scored 13 goals. Jordan Hugel scored 15 goals. Uh, we had a player from Matt, Man City called Matt Smith as well. This year, we've not done that. And that makes it difficult. We're, we're going back to a, a philosophy that I like. I like the idea that we're buying players like Rob Dickey, um, like Macaulay Bond that you, you're talking about, like George Thomas. Players have got kind of lower league experience or you're buying them from 
teams in the division below and are hoping that they bounce and then are, are good enough to, to bounce again and become better players because they've got that hunger. I like that we've done that, but we what we haven't done is we haven't supplemented that with quality through the the loan market, which we had last year. Like last year, we're, last year was actually so exciting to watch. We, we played some amazing football and we had a really good blend of a manager that plays great football, players that were coming through. And that's the other thing that we do at QPR now is that we, we bring, we find players that have probably been released by Premier League clubs, top clubs, um, and, and um, sort of give them a bit of a home here, right? And so the likes of someone like Eze, who was released by Arsenal, the mill or whatever, but let's use Eze as an example. You had the you had the mix of someone like him who we'd taken and, and made one of our own and he came through, so he didn't cost anything. Someone like Bright, say Samuel, who we'd got from Blackpool, a league below, which is the other side of our kind of philosophy. And then that sprinkling of Jordan Hugel and Narky Wells, uh, you know, players that are our, our top championship players, to bring us the goals. So all together, it was quite a nice team. This year, we don't have that sprinkling of loans and we've sold we've sold or lost 45 goals. We've lost Hugel, we've lost Wells and we lost Eze, 45 goals. And then Ryan Manning, who's our left back, who created loads of those goals. So when you lose all those goals, that's where that's where we're struggling now. And that's where I, I'm concerned as a QPR fan because we, we do play good football, which is important to me and, and it's... I think it gives you a chance in games, but we don't score many goals at the moment. And that's that's a massive concern for us. We spoke off it. It's just weird, sort of going into a Fulham QPR local derby with not 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 necessarily nothing riding on it. There has been games, obviously, where there's been nothing riding on it, but a game where neither team is really that concerned about it. Because yeah. you know, even even the one post lockdown last season. We both needed to get something out of that game, really. Us for our promotion charge and you guys to make sure you, you stayed up in the championship. Obviously, you know, somehow Cyrus Christie scored from 20, 25 yards out. Um, yeah. I don't think we'll be seeing that much any any time anytime soon during his loan spell at Nottingham Forest. But yeah, it's, it's just very weird going into a Fulham QPR game with 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 sort of not that, oh, it's Derby Day. It's, you know, it's full yeah. of play. Oh, it's, it's, look, we're, go, we're going away to off the road or you guys are coming to the cottage. It's it's all both teams are like, oh, it's, it's an FA Cup game this weekend. I think it's a massive problem with the FA Cup for clubs in both our um, positions. Championship clubs are playing so many games of football and you're at the end of... Um, that long list of games, even more so this year. And that's always that always seems to be the case with QPR. We've got a terrible record in the FA Cup. And it seems like every year we get to this point and we're like, we could really do without this. And so you find yourself being uh, an okay championship club and that needs to rotate the squad because, you know, you want to be careful for, for the championship season. Uh, and so... You, it then do, it does it feels like a bit of a sort of dead rubber. I think that's a lot of that's the problem. Loads of championship teams will play weak inside because of this, and then for a team like Spurs or any uh, Spurs, sorry Fulham, um, any team in the bottom half of the Premier League, or certainly in the bottom five or six, you just don't need this, do you? You don't need the extra games. You don't need players that might get injured for you. So that's the problem. There's a weird filtering, I think, with the FA Cup where you have a lot of teams that are like, you know, we're going to play our we're going to play the squad players and see if we get ourselves to the fifth round. And once we get to the fifth round, then we'll take it seriously. But that's, that is just the way that the FA Cup is now. So yeah, like I say, QPR, we're just every single year, we seem to get a team that is like just about probably about 10 places better than us. Do you know what I mean? And I guess even more so this year with you guys. Um, and we get that every single year. And then we end up losing to those teams because they've got a higher level of confidence than we have and probably a little bit more quality as well. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's an awkward one for you guys because yeah, I think you are starting to get somewhere, but you need your squad to you need your squad to be fit, don't you? You need every single first team player to be fit. So I, I would imagine both of us will would make a lot of changes for this one. Yeah, I think one one big thing where I think we'll make a lot of changes. Obviously, in the Premier League, you're limited to your 25 man squad. Whereas, whereas in this game, obviously we've had the our COVID issues, which has been widely reported with the two postponements, and but we 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 could see the likes of players like Josh Onomah, who's been obviously out injured, so he didn't make twenty five man squad. You got you know championship level players in like Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson, mm-hmm. who didn't make the twenty five uh, player squad, and you know you got squad players like Bukar Kamara, Niskins Cabano, uh, Michael Hector, Tim Ream, etc. Who haven't been playing so much in obviously the Premier League, so I imagine them sort of them sort of players will be playing in this game, but then you know. Straight after this game on on Friday night um, next week, we we obviously have Chelsea at home, and you know we could be the team that puts the last dagger into Frank Lampard at Chelsea, and Fulham fans would love nothing more than than that than that than that to be the answer. And then we got we've got big games yeah, this month, well. yeah, and we got um we got big games this month. You know we we, we play West Brom, we play West Brom at the end of the month, which, which is a huge fixture. Play Brighton yeah. this month again, so you know it's. I'm 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 interested in this game just to I, I, there's players I'm interested to see what they can offer because obviously their confidence must be so damaged by you know players who started the season playing for us us getting battered and then them coming out the side and us clearly performing better but yeah mm. I do think we are going to have you know our squad is clearly going to be better than you know QPR squad players so I imagine we should be too confident but it, it is going to have a bit of a reservey kind of feel to it because yeah. it's both both teams have got much sort of. Uh, much more important aims this season, but as we're speaking about the lineups, what sort of team are you expecting? You know, players-wise for Mark Warburton to field. So, so he he sometimes plays. You know, he has played three at the back um, quite often. Um, he has uh, generally looked to play four at the back, though. Um, I think we, that's generally how we play with one one up top. Um, we've got a lot of sort of kind of tricky players in midfield that uh, can, can offer, you know, offer something like a bright, say Samuel, uh, Elias Chair uh, is one of our best players this year. He's really kind of gone up a notch from last year where he was almost like the other guy in our attacking options because uh, Eze was taking all the headlines and this year he, we really needed him to to step up and he he has been good for us. He's been really, really good for us. Um, so he's, he's an option as well. Um, Callum Willock, who uh, was, I think he was formerly Arsenal, we, we got him from Benfica. Um, he's another one of those tricky players and uh, uh, Adamar as well we've got so we've got a lot of those kind of players we've got good wing play um, it's the striking situation and that's the the problem we've got is 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 just bringing it all together when I watch QPR I feel like uh, got Dykes up top and he's it just feels like the rest of the team's miles away from him a lot of the time and that's that's the thing I'm struggling with, struggling with. for us I, I think look this is the other problem for, for QPR teams, uh, QPR fans, QPR yeah teams, is that we're not going to win it. <laughs> I think that's the feeling right now. You know, once you get to round five, round six, you're like, okay, hang on, you know, we could get ourselves to Wembley, whatever, it could be exciting. But at this stage, it just feels like just such a chore really for us, which I know is not not the exciting thing to to say, but that's why I wonder if we will kind of move it about quite a lot. We we have a I think we like we're Fulham. It feels like you've got you've got your top guys, and then you've got the championship guys from last year. We've got a, a squad that feels like everyone is of the same level. So, in terms of the team, you could pick the you could pick a very similar team to the team that plays in championship games or gets championship appearances for us, and uh, and it won't be too surprising. There won't be that same difference between 
our first team players and the squad players that will come in. That's that's kind of our problem at the moment. We've got a lot of sort of mediocre players at the moment. So um, so yeah, for us, we, we look Warburton plays one way. Like we 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 play really good football. Um, we look to keep the ball, um, but we just we just seem to be struggling to to score goals at the moment. So in terms of the lineup, God knows who's going to play. To be honest, but. Um, it will be a team that looks to looks to play football and and hopefully can sort of bloody the nose of of Fulham because I think for you guys that's the thing you've got if if Parker's clever he can spin it in a way that goes to these to the players that aren't playing a lot of the time for for two reasons like you know get yourself in that twenty five man squad secondly you go look this this is going to be your football this year if you stay in the FA Cup these are probably the games you're going to play in and thirdly it's a shot window, I think, for, for some of these Fulham players if they want to get a move to a championship club because I think there's not much money that's going to be spent. It's going to be loans uh, in the January transfer window. So I think a lot of championship clubs will be looking to to, to do business. So some of those Fulham players that you mentioned there, McDonald and Johansson, um, that, you know, they're a great they're a great example of players that could drop down into the championship and be really, really useful. So it's... Yeah, it's a really funny game, isn't it? For like for for it to be a derby game, of course we want to be Fulham, like you know West London rival, um, but we just like to win a game, mate. <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I'm gonna push you for a score prediction. Finally, what are you gonna go with, James? I think I've been negative enough, haven't I? So let's go with. <laughs> let's go with 2-1 well thank you to James uh, do make sure you check out his YouTube channel he's actually very very good uh, I've been a subscriber for a few years now and uh, always brilliant content on his channel even if he is a Rangers fan it slightly sours things for me but uh, it's still a, a great watch and he's done some great stuff over the years and of course thank you very much to Dom so Jack and Peter having a look at this match um, it's an interesting one isn't it it's not going to be top priority for both teams. And, and Jack, what does an FA Cup run mean to Fulham this season? We know it's not going to be Scott's number one. It's not going to be the biggest thing for him this season. So how do you think he will treat it? Because of course, you can't beat an FA Cup run and sometimes the confidence that can come with that. But we know that Scott would trade losing 8-0 in this match and having nine players sent off if that meant that Fulham finished 17th come the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think less than any other year this year, the FA Cup means you know less to Fulham because just of the, the situation we're in with, with COVID and uh, and the and the Premier League, just the fixture congestion. I think actually the last thing Fulham could do with is is more fixtures. On the other hand, like you say, it's not great to lose to a team from a division below. It's not great to lose to a local rival. That said, we lost in the League Cup to Brentford, and while everyone was a bit kind of you know embarrassed for for ten minutes, at the end of the day, we didn't have to play an extra three games in November and December, which has probably been a good thing for us. And 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 so in that regard, I, I'm really not too fussed. You know, there's I don't think QPR are particularly engaged with the idea of a cup run either, given their perilous predicament at the bottom of the championship. And um, so I think we are actually going to see two sides who, who are both a bit like I'm not that fussed about winning this game. Um, and and it, it's sad in some ways. And actually, do you know what? Even if this was a normal year and this was still a Premier League year, I would obviously not be sticking all my hopes on the FA Cup. But it would definitely be be something I'd be more interested in. But I think with the fixture congestion, the fact that the season is truncated, all of these different elements in in play, then that this is you know quite a 
exceedingly low down my, my priorities list this season, if I'm honest. I mean, Jack, part of it is because we're not at this game. Imagine if it was normal times and it was a third round FA Cup match, QPR versus Fulham, and we were all packed out, 3,000 of us in the school end. I'd be right up for this game and I wouldn't care because you just want to win games like that, especially when you're away from home at your local rivals. I think that's a big, big factor in this for me. Of course it is, yeah. Of course it is. It's, you know, all of these things play into it and and all of these things, like I say, you know, this isn't a normal season. If it was a normal season, then I'd be far, far more up for this than I am. But, you know, I was speaking to my, one of my uncle's sports QPR and my cousin and I was speaking to them about it and they were a bit like, yeah, you know, we're just really not that fun. We need to stay in the championship, and 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 that's kind of where we got to. And it, it was it was one of those. I was like, yeah, I don't think we're that fussed either. Look, I, I think it's a huge opportunity. This is this is what I'm going to take for it. It's a huge opportunity for us to to give some players some game time to who who have been absent to to get some minutes into the legs of the likes of Josh Onuma. Who knows? We might even see a John Mikel Seri, although I. Do you think that his his time in black and white is probably up now? And I, I would be surprised if he's not a Galatasaray player by the end of the month. Um, but you know, there are people who have been, you know, here and there and, and knocking about the squad that that will get some minutes. It's time for some minutes for, for Marek Rodak. It's time for some minutes for for a lot of different players, for for Tim Ream, for for Dennis Adoy. Like all these the old stalwarts can get a run out here. And I don't think anybody's gonna be too upset about it. And at the same time, you get you know, minutes into the into the legs of a Josh Onomer, and you hope that he's going to be part of the second half of this season, like I say. And and with all that, I think you you take it for what it is. You take it as a kind of pre-season-y kind of game and you just try to to get match sharpness up. And that's what I hope Scott will do with it. There are, as you mentioned there, Jack, there are players who are fighting for a Premier League spot here. You know, we've still got the bloated squad and being able to move players, you know, I think that's that's Fulham's main goal in this window, but that's that's not going to be easy as, as, as Sammy outlined earlier. You know, the, the challenges that, uh, are being faced here at the moment, and and you know that that mean that does give more impetus to this game. Um, I think the League Cup games earlier in the season were quite a nice antidote for Fulham. Um, they were all very solid performances, comfortable wins in general. I uh, say all oh, there was only a couple of games, but you know, they, considering the heat of the Premier League at the time, it was a nice respite. And um, obviously, with the FA Cup, it's slightly different now in in terms of how Fulham are performing. They're performing that bit better, and it's, there's less need for that. But I certainly feel that there's a there's an opportunity there to, to just try different things, use it as a good opportunity. Um, you know, as, as long as the game goes ahead, of course, but you know, that, that, that's, that's something that Fulham really don't want to pass up. And of course you don't want to go through a season having lost to Brentford, losing to QPR. And then obviously there's Chelsea next week as well. So, I mean, there's there maybe no fans there, but I, I imagine that's still quite important. <laughs> I mean, Jack, I, I know you are like an octopus of football with tentacles in every league, but I don't think I quite realised how desperate it is at QPR. I knew they weren't like setting the world alight, but two wins in 18. Um, and they are really looking over their shoulders in the championship, given that a few of the teams below them are actually started to pick up wins. And you look at the likes of Derby County, will they there be there at the end of the season, given that they have some pretty talented players and Sheffield Wednesday, you know, would be above QPR if they hadn't have had the points deduction. It's four wins all season. And their next games for, for QPR look absolutely vital. Away to Luton, who are kind of mid-table, uh, at home to Wickham next Saturday, which probably one of their biggest games of the season. And then a week after that, they uh, have Derby County at home. So I think you're right that 
Queen's Park Rangers probably couldn't care less about this game, could they? No, they really couldn't. And 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 that is that is genuinely the truth, I think. You well, from from the people I've spoken to, look, there's always going to be an element of it's full and we want to beat them. So it's not going to be a complete write-off, but you look at the teams down there and you think these are big teams, you know, Birmingham City, Nottingham Forest, Queen's Park Rangers, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby County. I mean, look a little bit less so Rotherham and Wickham Wanderers, but you know, these are not small units and, and they are the teams in this. It's not a, you know, they're, one of these teams is is probably going down and, and like you say, QPR are looking over their shoulders. Then they're, they're very uncomfortable and, and it's not pretty reading for, for Rangers fans right now. So Yes, there are. Yes, they will want to beat Fulham, but yeah, you're completely right. This is this is not a good run for QPR. They have not been good, and they are they are really really in the mire down there. And, and don't don't kind of discount how 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 realistic a possibility relegation is for them. Wow, it's um it's a pretty dire situation. So, Peter, what would be kind of your starting eleven? for this match obviously it's so difficult to, to say that so maybe we just kind of have to take coronavirus a little bit and and we don't exactly know who's available and stuff but who would you like to see maybe is the better question rather than picking the entire starting 11 for me you know I'd love to see Marit Rodak back between the sticks we know that Ariola's a, a slightly better goalkeeper and it is an exceptional talent but I love Marek and I, and I want him to get as many games uh, as possible and I don't care what anyone says, whether it's a good enough send off for him or not. I want to see Steph Johansson play on Saturday because I love the man. Yes, he's not Premier League, massive Premier League quality, but he's still a hero. And any games where we see Steph Johansson is where his hair is fine and he's scoring belters all the time is what I want to see. Yeah, I think picking a starting 11, that'd be one hell of a feat at this point. Um yeah, no, definitely. I think it'd be nice to, to see some of those players who haven't been involved. I think, as Jack mentioned, it'd be good to see Josh Onema back playing as well, playing in minutes, trying, looking sharper. I don't think he looked as sharp in the under-23 games against Leeds um, as he probably wants to be. But of course, when you're out for that long, it, it does take time. So this is a good opportunity for him. It'd be nice to see, you know, you mentioned Steph Johansson there. Um, whether we see Kevin McDonald, I'm not so sure. But, you know, just, just seeing some of those faces who, who not only want to, you know, we haven't seen for a while in a Fulham shirt, but also we'll be looking potentially to try and get a move and get more minutes, maybe elsewhere as well. Um, Marek Rodak is a given, but I think in particular for me, I, I would like to see Sylvester Jasper and Fabio Carvalho given some minutes. You know, they're both very exciting young players, both really highly rated by the youth academy coaches. And I think these these games, especially in the circumstances, are good opportunities. You know, they've, they've both been training with the first team. They've both impressed Scott Parker. Um, I mean, there are good numbers in the squad, so it just depends who's available and who's not. But if they are available, um, then it'd be nice to see them get minutes and see see what they can do. You know, it's there are limited opportunities, especially with a team like Fulham in the Premier League, who have tried to bolster their ranks, trying desperately to stay in the league. Taking a risk on young players is so much harder in those circumstances. And when you have games like this, these are the opportunities. So it'd be nice to see them and it'd be good to see if they could take those those opportunities as well. Um, sorry to bring the uh, production planning meeting on air, Peter, but actually, you know, I noticed that you did that piece um, for the Premier League prospects for 2021 and each athletic writer in the Premier League was asked to pick one and you picked Fabio Carvalho. So maybe in the next few weeks, it might be a good idea actually for us to have a little bit of a look at the youth team, particularly if any of them get minutes in this, this QPR game where we can actually see them in kind of proper first team action. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear more about them, especially in the year in the year or two ahead. I think both could probably, I say both, I'm talking about Sylvester Jasper as well, because it was it was a much of a muchness for, for the two of them. And there's some other brilliant young young players in, in the youth setup as well that you know, Jay Stansfield's done really, really well last year. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent there and it'd be good to, to really dive into how well they're doing. I think Jasper and Carvalho would want more minutes and I think maybe even a loan would be quite good for them at this point. Um, even if they're not getting them with Fulham. But, um, you know, Fulham's record of bringing through players is, is, is brilliant, really. Um, there's some really good players, and I, I don't think the first team have really been able to benefit from it uh, in the way that they probably would have wanted to. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to to look at, and, and, and hopefully um, we'll see more of them in, in, in the coming weeks and, and months. Well, we'll uh, leave it there for the podcast today. We'll see how Fulham get on against QPR on Saturday. I believe if you're in the UK, uh, the the match is on the BBC, but not on the telly as such. I believe it's available on the iPlayer and that um, the BBC is showing about half the matches kind of online. So if you've got, I don't know, the iPlayer app or you can cast it to your TV or something like that, you should be able to watch the game pretty easily and for free. Um, that's for sure. Um, some of the games I think are on BBC sport but Fulham QPR as far as I know is definitely somewhere on the BBC website but uh, who knows Um, so have a good um, weekend chaps Uh, thank you for being on the podcast today Jack Collins thank you very much thank you Sammy and Peter Rutzer thank you very much thank you Sammy stay safe everyone and uh, see you next week yeah do stay safe everyone much love to all our listeners in the US at the moment we know it's uh, particularly mad over there right now but have a good weekend and then Jack will be back on Sunday looking back at the QPR game so come on you whites you whites